So uh, listen, this morning, um, we're going to come back to what we talked about last Sunday. Um, not my favorite subject to bring uh, because it's not easy to preach on and it's never, uh, you, you always end up feeling like, are, are you the, the money grubbing pastor? But we're going to talk about giving again for the second time. <clears throat> and by God's grace, my plan is this will be the last time for a while, though we're going to bring reminders monthly as Mike will explain in a second why we're doing that. Um, and also, I want to talk a little bit about Robin's message last week, which was, by the way, if you weren't here for that message, it was great. It was solid. It was, it was faithful. But it, there was a little bit of a hiccup when he talked about cursing. And that's why, if you didn't get my email with the church, I wanted to clarify that. So we'll, we'll briefly touch on that today. Uh, and I inter- interacted with Robin about that. And he was super gracious and admitted that it wasn't his greatest moment to throw that out there and then not elaborate on it. Um, so we'll be talking about that a little bit, which is another good reason to come back around to this. But, but really, this was our plan to, to talk about this a couple of times to kind of update you guys on where we are. What we want to try to do over the next season, for the next several months, we want to try to focus on thinking about our giving and figure out where we are um, so that we can make better decisions uh, later this, probably in August, to try to figure out where we are and next steps to take. And I'll explain more about that. But first, I wanted to just welcome our brother Mike, who's done so much for this church for so long. He's going to come up and bring an update. The Kim, who's online, Kim had got COVID, so she's online today. She put together a lot of numbers for Mike and us to be able to see what's happening. Um, And Mike's going to bring that update. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the the practicalities of giving, really. Thank you, Mike. You guys welcome our brother, Mike. It's working. Okay, so I hope everybody can sit back and enjoy the next hour. That's all I will take. Um, Just kidding. So it should be very brief. And just about the wonderful finances that God has blessed this church with for many years. Um, If we can get the first slide up. There we go. Thank you. So this is um, our fiscal. Our fiscal year runs from September 1st until August 31st every year. So this is the expense and income report from last year. So this ends August 31st, 2022. As you can see, the total income was 100 and I need my glasses. I'm sorry. My old man glasses. 119,186 with a 12-month average of 99.32 and our, less our expenses with our 12, 12-month average of 13.8 and our net operating income deficit for the year was 46,557 with a 12-month average of 38.80. So as you can see, um, the next um, line, it says we are 39% over our, ex- our cost expenses exceeded our contributions by 39% for that year. Now, this is the entire year ending 2022, like I said, August 31st. And we do have, God has blessed this church for many years in the past of um, giving. And um, we have a money market. And right now, there's about $140,000 in that money market. And as you can see, for 2022, we took out $40,000, which is pretty substantial. Okay, we can go to the next slide, please. Make sure I have the right one. And again, it breaks it down. Now, this is for September 1st. This is 2022, the year we're in right now, our fiscal year. And this is through our this is for our first quarter, 9-1-2022 through 12-31-22. As you can see, our our income. And um, first, I'll say something about the missions we support line. This was when um, Arun Pereira and his wife came and they talked about their the mission which we support is Gospel Haiti. It's a school, and how much they were struggling with the children there of not enough food, which is you know which was horrible. Where there's these kids that come to the school, there was no food, not enough to feed them all. And so we brought it before the church, and you guys gave above the giving that you give to the, our church forty one hundred dollars. So that was amazing, and we were able to give that to Gospel Haiti, which. I'm sure went right to these kids. Um, So this is our total income. You'll see it comes out later further down, but our total income for the four months was 42,449. Okay, then it has the expenses of where everything comes out of. So everything below that is what our expenses are. And as you can see, our Sunday services facility, which is rent here. Um, I'll say something about our rent. We're trying to figure out how to cut expenses 
And one way is we have Albert's office upstairs, and um, he used to use it quite a bit. COVID hit, and we had a lot of virtual meetings, one-on-ones and things like that, counseling for Albert and whoever needed counseling. And um, so we just decided, you know, he wasn't using it enough, so it's, it's worth not having it. So that would be about $4,000 a year, which will come off. Um, as you can look, every line, there's different amounts, of course, and all this comes out of the income. So your total expenses at the bottom is 56797 If you have any questions for, you know, what comes out of where, you know, and why, you can ask me, and I have more detailed. But I'm not going to go through every line. Okay, the next slide, please. Okay, now this same, this is... Um, for the year we're in also, 2023, total income is 42449 Our four-month average is 10600 So that's what the giving is every month that comes into the church, less our expenses of 567 and the four-month average is 14000 and our net operating income is 14348 with our four-month average of 3587 and the next line, it tells us that our year-end cost expenses exceeded contributions by over 33%. If you look back to our previous year, you don't have to go back on the slide or anything, it was 39%. So actually, it's a little better for the first four months by 6%. Um, our money transferred to, the, from, to checking from a money market was $15,000 as of 12-31-22, and this past week, we had to transfer $10,000 from our money market. So that leaves us a balance of 14490.77. So um, as you can see, the way we're trending is not a positive way. But um, like I said, over the years, God has blessed this church with finances. And um, so our purpose in bringing all this to you is we're going to try to do, we're going to do a monthly update just to see how we're trending. We're probably going to come up with a number of what we need to have our expenses met every month. And we'll show you, you know, so an example would be if we need $10,000 for our expenses for the month and we get $12,000, so we'd be positive $2,000 for the month. So we'll have bring that monthly to you and also maybe a year-to-date total. So that's all I have. Sure. Thank you, Kim, for putting all that stuff together. That represents a lot of brain work and compiling. And thanks, Mike, for bringing that. Um, so as, as Mike and I <clears throat> have talked and counseled with Kim and Pam, uh, we've agreed that what would be wise is to take this season between now and August to try to understand where we are financially if everyone is giving as they feel they can be and should be according to their sense of where God has them. And that's what I'm going to try to do this morning is try to help you understand where would God have you from the actual passages in the Bible that talk about practically what, what, what giving goes to. <clears throat> so practically speaking, you know, our, our hope would be if the Lord would do anything, our hope would be that we could reach financial solvency by August. So that's the idea is that we'd like to try to reach a place where our monthly income is matching our expenses by the end of the summer. We don't know if God's gonna grant that to us, but that's what we're asking him to do, and that's what we're gonna set as our goal for August, that by August we could say, okay, you know, over the months as we've looked at this and we've all kind of done some homework in our hearts or you know, whatever the Lord has brought in terms of other giving stream or other members, we've been able to, to come to a, where marginal cost equals marginal revenue place. But I, I wanna qualify and say we would like to be there because here's the truth. We frankly don't know what our church is able to or believes it should be giving right now. It could be that our income is where it realistically can be. We're not a huge church. Um, we aren't without significant care and giving right now. Um, but it also could be that we could do better than we have been doing in our regular giving. We just don't know. And I don't know. Mike doesn't know. We don't know what you guys are giving. That's on purpose. <clears throat> that should be private for you. And, um, and even if we did know, you know, to come to you and say, um, here's what God wants you to give. It's just not something that we can biblically do. We can give you principles and, and clarity, but hopefully you'll see what we can and cannot do from the scriptures. And that's important for, for us to keep. And so this season we want to concentrate. Um, we do want to concentrate on getting our giving into the best place it can be, not an unrealistic place, 
Um, and then reassess in August what we need to do budgetarily from there. We do have a good padding, but it won't last forever. And so we need to think about what does it mean um, to be there. So this morning, it's the question that we're going to try to look at before the scriptures is, are we giving to the church as we can? Are we giving to the church as we should before the Lord? And that answer might be, yes, we are. That answer might be, no, there's more we could be doing. Um, maybe in some cases, the answer is actually... <laughs> You're giving too much. You know, I, I, I just want to be careful um, to not impose upon you something that the Holy Spirit is not imposing on you. And that's why we need to go to the scriptures because that's who the Holy Spirit, uh, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us most clearly and most authoritatively. Um, so <clears throat> what I want to do is bring to you this morning several principles that we should consider as we ask this question. And the question is, are we giving to the church as we can and as we should before the Lord? Um, <clears throat> number one here. So here are the principles. I have about four principles here. Number one, this is the, the longest sounding one. And it's kind of sets the tone for everything else. This is the shape of the direction of giving. This is where God calls people to give in his word. Most clearly we put that first one up there. It's a bit of a chunk <clears throat> giving in the new Testament. Oh, you know what? I didn't pray. <clears throat> I know we prayed some before, but I don't like to keep preaching without praying. So I'm going to pray. I'm also going to take this water <laughs> later because I don't even know if it's mine. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, um, thank you for El Shaddai, who I know the pastor would not mind me drinking this water, especially if we replace it at the end of the message. <laughs> but I just thank you for, uh, for this building. I thank you for um, just the chance to be here in these seats and have everything you provide, Lord, for us uh, since we moved here in 2018. How you, um, Lord, in my heart, I feel you rescued this church um, from a really broken and hard place. And you brought us here to this, uh, to this little building with these wonderful people and you have cared for us and nurtured us. You have been a husband to your bride. So as we think about these things today, Lord, I pray that your faithfulness would undergird it all that you're faithful to us as people and you're faithful to us as a church. You have been so clearly and so loudly faithful and you will continue to be. So Lord, help me um, also not impose or ask others to do what I won't do, but help me Lord to do as a pastor should to set an example in the way I think about all that we're going to talk about today. I pray your, your Holy Spirit would work in all of our hearts to know what to do, how to think about these things. Oh God, this is such a, uh, a place of um, potential manipulation and exploitation and greed um, for all of us, but in your word, especially religious leaders. Um, so Lord, guard that for me as I am not immune to wanting, um, to wanting to chase after money. So please guard me from that evil of putting money above you in my heart and please help us all, Lord to have you as our God and money as your servant in our lives, Lord, to supply us what we need and to be a blessing to others. Help us, Lord. Protect us in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you all. So principles on giving. Number one, giving in the New Testament is specifically directed in two major areas. The support of pastors and needy in the local church and the support of the apostolic mission and the needy in the broader church. So basically, gospel mission, supplying those who bring the word and those who are needy, supplying those who don't have enough. And that's, that happens in the local church. I think that's, my sense is that's where the priority is for each church, and then from there to the outer church. So the, the two main areas are specifically directed for our giving are the support of pastors and needy in the local church, and the support of the apostolic mission and the needy in the broader church. So you see word ministry, and you see uh, needy, and people in, in dire need for help. And so let's look at the scriptures that, that uh, where I'm getting this from, so that we can know that it's from the scriptures. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 9, first let's talk about uh, pastoral care or supplying the ministers with the provision for life. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul makes a connection between God's command that the temple priests were to be provided for by the people in Israel via the tithe or 10% of the people's income. 
And that now in the church, those who serve as preachers of the gospel to the temple, which is God's people, are also to be provided for. Um, now, the context of Paul's argument is, is important here because what he's actually, he's trying to show that he is not after their money. And he, so it's a little bit of a, a tricky thing to take this text because Paul's actually saying, listen, I haven't taken money from you guys, but here's the way it normally should be. And I just want you to know that I'm not taking advantage of, of the way this normally should be. Uh, and so here's what he says in verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. <clears throat> in the same way, in other words, that just as the priests in the Old Testament were supplied by the tithes of the people for their sustenance, in verse 14, Paul says, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So this is kind of a, an important principle of giving and it's why we can justify ever hiring and supporting pastors paid. There are people who actually believe that, that paying for pastors is unbiblical. Um, but this passage and other passages show that it is perfectly in line with the gospel to help pastors with their livelihood through this and that it's actually a command of the Lord. This is reaffirmed in Galatians 6, 6 through 7 where Paul notes about teachers. <clears throat> Let the one who has taught the word excuse me, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, those who received teaching of the word uh, are sharing what they have with the people who are teaching them. We see the talk also commanded in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, where Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Uh, and from the larger context, that's actually a, a uh, from the broader context, that's very likely a financial remuneration uh, term, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and quote, the laborer deserves his wages. Paul's reference to the ox here not being muzzled refers to the animal's ability to not have its face covered when it's out doing its work in the field so that it can actually eat in the same place where it's doing its work. The animal derives provision at the place of the animal's labor. And he's talking about teachers of the word as animals. And then he adds the Lord's command to provide workers their wage, which again might be an allusion to the Le Levitical command on wages. So, it's right and good for churches to try to support the livelihood of their pastors and their families. And you've been the means by which I have been able to care for my family since I got to the church. And I am grateful uh, to you for that. Um, but notice that here it says nothing about pastors being rich for their work. If they're full-time, they should have enough to reasonably provide for their families, but this principle can be abused by pastors and exploited uh, by leaders and ministries who end up using churches to get rich. Historically, we've tried to mitigate against that by setting wages via national compensation guidelines that take several factors into effect. The cost of living in an area, um, the position of the pastor, the education, the work he's done to get to where he is, the size of the church. And in terms of my salary, things haven't changed since about 2018. Um, I, I, don't, I feel like my salary is a huge, massive blessing. Uh, um, like all of you guys in here, we're, you know, we're, we're all kind of tight, but we haven't changed things since, since 2018. Um, Jen was able to get a job this year, so we've been able to get extra help from that. But if anybody wants to know what my salary is, how much I make and why, <clears throat> please feel free to ask me. And if that's weird, because it can be, feel free to ask Mike or Kim and they'd be happy to talk to you about all that. I don't mind that all being fully disclosed to you guys. Um, <clears throat> and I would just say that if, if any of it's confusing or tricky to you, don't assume the worst. Um, I mean, I don't make like $200,000 or anything like that. I'm just saying, whatever you find out, if you're like, what about this? Just keep asking, because I don't want that to be a stumbling block for anybody, but it's, it's out there for you to know, uh, just ask. Uh, another area of giving, next point in this number one, another area stressed is giving to the local church needs. We see this uh, again and again in the scriptures. First John three tells us, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Uh, you might remember James, we don't have that verse, but you might remember James three, where James says, okay, it's well enough that someone is, is needy and you go over to them and say, oh, God bless you. <laughs> he was like, how's that real faith if your brother or sister is impoverished and you're just like God bless you later you know that's that's the same essentially the same thing first John here is saying he's saying uh, 
let us love not in only in word, but in deed and truth. And in Galatians 6, 10, Paul says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what we see here is that when we look for needs, we do well to prioritize those needs that are right in our own church family. So proximity is a real thing when it comes to helping, giving to our own brothers and sisters. And let me just say, like over the years, that has been something that's been so wonderful to see. I've seen you guys buy cars for people. I've seen you guys help people with rent. Um, I've, I've seen this church corporately. Uh, we have helped people with uh, mortgages. We've helped people with utility bills. We've helped people with groceries. We've helped people w- with uh, even counseling needs. Um, so it's been a beautiful thing to see and be part of a church that actively does that. And that's still happening. When we came to you, you know, this is extra local, but the point is there's just a lot of generosity here. When we came to you guys about Gospel Haiti, it took us a month to raise $4,000 for those kids via Arun. That was just, it's just, Beautiful, beautiful to see, beautiful to be part of. But it's a real concern for the Lord that we not let our brothers and sisters uh, be impoverished and be in need if we can help it. Matthew 25, we're reminded that when we care for the material needs of those who belong to Jesus, we are caring for Jesus. And when we ignore the needs of those who are around us, we are ignoring Jesus. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. And like I said before, this can be direct, done directly between you guys. You know, the leadership of the church doesn't have to know about it. Um, but we also see this often in the scriptures, and we do this also, that, that this is walked out often by people bringing the wealth to the church leadership, and then the church leadership sees that it goes to those in need. And this can be helpful. It can protect privacy issues, but it can also help us make sure that people go through a process. We actually have a benevolence application form that we make people fill out before we give money. We do have some discretionary, small discretionary funds every month, but for major benevolence, we actually ask people to go through a process of helping us understand what their financial situation is. What do they really need? What do they really have? Who else do they have before we, we uh, give uh, help to them? Um, so we see that pattern in the New Testament where there's a communal church pot um, we see that in Timothy, where he, he handled a communal church pot for widows. We see a communal church pot being taken for the church in Macedonia um, by Paul as he asked people to give to, the, to, the, to a central giving pot, to the leadership, a collection. That's what we did with Gospel Haiti. Um, so it's just, um, those are in the scriptures. That's what we do as a church. That's why we have benevolence funds and what we do with Gospel Haiti and historically what we've done with other, other churches. Seven, uh, the next point is, is a little bit more of an expansion on this idea of giving to the, the larger household of God. We were able to do more of this when we were a bigger church with more money before we had our big, um, and this is in our, <laughs> we're giving you guys like drama history who you guys who are, who are new today. Um, but we kind of had a season in 2015, 16 when, when we went through a difficulty in our church family. Um, and before that we had, um, more members and more giving and we were able to do more extra local care. Um, so that's another principle in scripture that we want to be able to give outside our local church to the wider ministry of the gospel mission and to people who are in need outside our church, like we did with gospel Haiti. Um, I want to talk to you about just briefly. We see that in scripture. We see seasons where Paul as an apostle going from church to church to church to church, not necessarily part of one local church, but he did this wider global ministry. We see him, sometimes he supplied his own needs through tent making, but we also would see him finding help from other local churches. He was able to serve, for instance, the suspicious Corinthians who thought maybe he was after their money. He was able to do that ministry to them without burdening them, but it wasn't just through his tent making, he said, listen, (laughs) other churches have supplied what you guys could have supplied me so that you wouldn't have suspicions about me. Um, So you see this pattern in his letters where he would take collections uh, also to support poorer churches like the church in Jerusalem. Um, So now I'm I'm double talking because I've ad-libbed here um, going over these. Um, So listen, none of these issues mean that we should not care for the non-Christian poor in our local communities. That's a witness that we make. Some of you guys pour out your whole lives to do that. Um, You could take greater jobs than as teachers or as recovery workers than you have right now. Or in the case of Heather and Danny, you guys have spent decades now uh, in Panama and other places just caring for impoverished people. so that, that's something that God would have us do. Um, we're to do good to all people, says Paul. Um, but of course, the, the household of God has God's attention too. So the biblical priority 
is laid out there that way. And those are the basic targets for giving. Um, Number two, this is another important principle. Giving in scripture is to be proportional. In other words, that it's to be according to our means, not according to uh, what we don't have. Giving is to be proportional according to our means. Um, Now listen, the Lord loves crazy, extravagant, risky giving. You remember the widow who gave out of her poverty all that she had and she received great praise from God and God would take care of her. But what's really interesting is when it comes to like Paul pastoring churches, functionally trying to call them out in terms of how they should give, what Paul calls people to is, is this idea of proportional giving. And it's a really merciful and beautiful idea. And it's, it's a wisdom principle that we, we actually see first in the idea of tithes in the Old Testament. Note that giving in the Mosaic Covenant was not a sum. Say every household give 500 shekels. It was a flat percentage, 10% in the Old Testament. And there's just a lot of wisdom and beauty and mercy in that. You know, if you think about the idea of a family couldn't afford 500 shekels, but their next door neighbors could, well, that family would look so much more glamorous and, and awesome in, in the light of the society if that was the way God set it up. It would also be a great burden for some people to just say flat out 500 shekels for every family. Some families just couldn't do it. They could never obey God. Other families would be able to obey God, you know, 10 times as much, but would really have to, you know, would be able to afford 10 times as much as that, but they'd be able to just give that little bit and, and still be acceptable. But God said, no, you give what you can. That's what 10% is trying to get at in part. You give what you can. And, and so this is enumerated in, um, in Leviticus, uh, uh, it's Leviticus 2730, where the Lord says, uh, next slide, um, every tithe, that's a 10th, Robin went over this last week a little bit, um, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So this has the wisdom of being consistent with the idea that if you have more, you give more. If you have less, you're being asked to give less. It's a merciful idea. The tithe or 10% of our income is, has been historically used in a lot of churches as the metric because it was an Old Testament requirement for Israel. And as Robin tried to make clear last week, we are no longer under the old covenant. And God wants us to give from a heart of generosity and faith and not under compulsion. But it's fair to say that I think, and this is tricky ground because I'm, I'm giving you my, my best sense. Because what's clear in scripture is the tithe is not binding on the New Testament Christian. But I think it is still worth considering. Um, Randy Al- Alcorn writes this, There's a timeless truth between the concept of giving God our first fruits. Whether or not the tithe is still the minimal measure of those first fruits, I ask myself, does God expect his new covenant children to give less or more? Jesus raised the spiritual bar. He never lowered it. So as Alcorn went through the teachings of Jesus, usually the the Old Testament commands that were carried over in the New Testament were heart were, were more deeper heart issues uh, and, and they became um, more holy and more, um, what's the word? They called for more from us. Alcon's point is that we would hope and expect that the Holy Spirit of the new covenant age is able to empower more generosity in us in more areas of our lives than under the old covenant. So in his mind, the tithe is a re- reliable consideration. And I would say it's a reliable consideration. In other words, it's a good thing to think about and to consider if that's where God would have us. But it isn't a command. And if people tell you that, or they're proud because they do that, or it's just not, it's not a command. And we need to be careful about that. The transcendent principle is proportional giving, giving according to what you have. We can see that more clearly in 2 Corinthians 8. Can we put that up here? Next slide. This is giving what you can out of what you have, not of what you don't have. This is, by the way, can I just say, I'm not gonna go over all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, but if you have time and you wanna look at the idea of giving more in depth, that is one of the most highly concentrated places where Paul explains God's heart about giving. It is beautiful. It is full of wisdom. It is full of mercy. It is full of, um, it's great exhortations to faith. It's just a, I just, it's just a beautiful passage. Um, This is where he says uh, in the first part of that soliloquy on giving, he says, for if the readiness is there, 
Meaning if, if you guys are in faith for this, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Look at that last verse 15. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul is quoting Exodus 16 where God did a miracle all the time with the Israelites. This is, I didn't know about this until I researched this uh, a year and a half ago. It's a beautiful miracle that God did. He was raining manna from heaven for the Israelites in their 40 year exodus in the wilderness. And some people every morning they'd go out to gather what they could get. And every morning people would come in with different amounts for their families. Um, not be necessarily because they had more family members, but because some guys could hold a lot more. Some ladies could hold a lot more. Some people could hold a lot less. So everybody would come in and they'd bring in these different amounts gathered. But when they would take their manna and they would weigh it on the scales, it all weighed the same. Meaning if you gathered enough for a family of nine, but you only had a family of five, when you brought it in and put it on the scales, the miracle that God would do would be that it would, it would work for a family of five and not for a family of nine. And if you had a family of 10 and you could only gather that morning, you know, you did your best, you could only gather enough for a family of three, when it would be brought in to the scales, God would make it work for a family of 10. That's just a beautiful picture. And so Paul is saying, okay, church, now you live this out. You do this. Share among yourselves. Um, and um, I think I was talking with, I don't know who it was, Michael, uh, someone this week, it probably wasn't Michael, but just how much would the church be able to, um, what, 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 the reputation of the church can be so beautiful when people tell the story of finding their needs met this way in their church family. I, I see that happening in our church. And some of the stuff that goes on just needs to be private, you know, because it could be awkward. But it's such a beautiful thing to see as a pastor. Like people like, like where do you, what kind of community is there in the world where someone's like, I don't have a car. And then somebody else is like, well, here, here's a car. <laughs> you know, like that's happened here. That kind of stuff happens. And it's just, uh, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, to, be, to see that happening, be part of that, to be able to take part in that too, to be invited to it. That's just beautiful. And we do this on, in, in non-material ways too. You know, I wanted to make this sermon a lot bigger and longer uh, in my call with Mike on Saturday and Kim and he wisely you know, tried to scale me back. But, but I just want to tell you, like I'm seeing just some sweet spots of, of where, what God wants us to be grow uh, this year in ways that are just thrilling my heart. You know, like I'm... I, I got to be careful, but I'm seeing people come into this church from really broken places. And then I'm seeing like people around them suck them in to community and then start to love on them. Like the discipleship groups, the DR thing, like people are getting pulled in and they're getting care. They're getting friendships that are going, that are, that are they're not just one-offs. That's not what real friendship is. It's not just a one-off hello and goodbye. You can get that from the government. What you can't get, what you, what you can't get from the government, what you can get from a church, not typically, what you can get from a church is a family, family. And I'm just seeing you guys do that. And I'm just appealing to you guys, do that more. Be in each other's lives over the long haul, repeatedly. Long enough to get hurt by each other. So you have to forgive each other and be patient with each other and share your stuff with people. Invite each other over. Look out for the lonely here. Look out for the new. Draw them in. If you look around and you're like, you know, over the weeks go by and you're like, who's that person? Who's that person? And they're sitting by themselves. Well, go figure it out. Like go step in. And if you're super shy, go to Luke because he's not shy. <laughs> And say, Luke, will you get some people together to find out what's going on with that person and who they are and suck them into some community? It's the most beautiful thing for me as, as a pastor to see these little stories of people getting drawn in into community and they start to, starts to go and they keep showing up and they keep showing up. That's what I want. That's what we're here for. And I just feel like that, that's what it is. Like that's the sweet spot. When that happens, it's like when you play tennis and you hit the ball right in the middle of the racket, you just feel like, oh, that's that's supposed to be like that every time. That's what our church is supposed to be. We're supposed to find people that are hurting, lonely, broken, wayward, not with the Lord. And we're supposed to be his hands and feet, drawing them in 
calling them to repentance and faith, but showing them an amazing amount of love and faithfulness and patience. And, and, and I, when I see that happening, and I do see that happening here, it just pooping thrills me to death. There's just nothing more like, you know, besides these great moments in your quiet time where God just comes in the room, like there's nothing more thrilling than seeing you guys do that, to get in the ring with people in the long haul. I just love it. I feel like God is saying, that's home base. Go, go, go. I'm trying to do more work on that mission statement-y stuff to try to help that happen more. But mostly it comes from preaching his word. That's all, Mike, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna stop now and get back to this message. Okay, um, so, I'll, I'll, all right. Um, okay. Number four, or is this number four or three? Can you put it up next? Next one, three. Okay. Yeah. Faith empowered generosity is the command. So we're saying tithing isn't the command. Specific percentages isn't necessarily the command. But faith empowered generosity is the command. Trusting that as we sow, so shall we reap. Faith empowered generosity is the command. Don't need to apologize for that. God commands all of us, be generous because I'm going to be generous to you. Be generous. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be generous to you. I have been, I will be. Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. We're all familiar with that phrase, right? God loves a cheerful giver. We'll see it in a second. We're told that without love, our giving profits us nothing. We're told not to give under compulsion, forced. Well, how do we get there? Like, how do we get to be in that place? Because I struggle with that place. You know, like many of you, I'm trying to give to the church. I'm trying to be generous. But man, sometimes it, it does feel like, oh, it's a lot. And people are pulling my teeth. Or I, I want to help more than I feel like my heart's ready to. How, how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, I, I think simply we get there by seeing and rehearsing and taking steps to really reinforce to us that God is our provider and not our money that God is our provider and not our money. And this is what Paul wants the Corinthians to see. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, he says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then how do we get there? Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 10, God's our provider. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Um, talk about this, this spiritual dynamic at work. Um, recently somebody got connected to some, uh, to a DR in the group and these people who didn't know this other person so well, um, brought this person into their little discipleship group and, um, and, and, and the group is, is, you know, just from my vantage point, just some of the most beautiful souls on earth. And um, they could do other things with their time. They could do other things with their resources, right? So the mo- money is a resource, time is a resource. So just using time as a metaphor for money. They could do other things with that resource. And they drew this person into their community and they gave that person a place. And, and I, I, I saw that person and I said, uh, how did it go? Because it was their first time here uh, doing that kind of DR thing. And they, they just said, uh, it was amazing. We closed the place down, you know, and and my heart just thrilled because like, I know some of those doors can be hard on the way in, like, right? The doors of quiet times, the doors of fellowship, the doors of giving, those things don't always feel greased when you're, when you're first pushing through, right? Like the quiet time starts really bad for me most mornings. Ah, the, 
do I, do I really need to go to this? I would so love to do a bunch of other things than go to this fellowship thing, you know, or, or giving, you know. But then you, you get through that hard, rickety, rusty door and there's this beauty on the other end so often where you experience the, the blessing of obedience and the blessing of giving yourself. And, and so that leads to thanksgiving to God when we do these things. It leads to people saying, wow, God really is here. He really does care about me. This is different. This experience of mine is different. This, this place where they hold to these, these 2,000-year-old doctrines that most people think are archaic and strange and weird about the Son of God and, and our need for a Savior and the reality of sin and hell and heaven. But, but look at them. They're different. And they experience that and they, they praise God. They say, this is, there's something real here. So, similarly, this is what God says he does when we're generous with, with our resources. He says, it leads to thanksgiving through God. And it all starts, though, because God's generous with us. He supplies what we need so that we can give. The blessing doesn't stop. It's like a boomerang. You throw it, and God says at some point, it's going to hit you right back in the head. <laughs> You're going to get the blessing back. And the blessing... Uh, may not always be in material form. You know, your, your offerings to the church monetarily or to, to people in need, they don't, it's not a prosperity gospel dynamic where we give financially as an investment so that we can make the most financial gain, turning God into a stock option or a guaranteed slot machine. That's what not we're talking about. It, it might be a spiritual blessing. I remember there was a season sometime in my life where um, I wasn't giving what I, my conscience said, you know, give this much, give this percentage. And I just wasn't obeying that. And I remember coming to the place where I, where I just was like, you know what, this isn't right. Um, I, I got to do this. And so um, I, I, I went to Jen. I said, we got to make sure that this is happening. And I started doing that. And, and I, I felt like for the next three months, it was like my quiet times just changed. Like my devotional times just felt like the air had breezed in and God was, it, it wasn't a money thing. It was just, I felt the Lord's presence more than I had. And, and I think the only locator I could look in the past was like, I, I don't think I was being obedient to what I felt my conscience God was saying to do with my money. And when I repented of that, it felt like God just blew new life into my devotional life. So you, you get the point that the blessings aren't necessarily apples for apples. Um, and, and we can also hold hope into this, that the blessings will include uh, eternal reward without a doubt. Every penny offered to the Lord in faith will be remembered by God. You will not lose your reward. And Paul's language here though, um, it, it does seem to include the idea of a like reaping for a like sowing. In other words, I don't want to say that there won't be you know, financial blessings too. Money isn't evil. Getting blessings isn't evil. We don't want to worship money and be a prosperity gospel church. We also don't want to be weirdos and say, you know, it's terrible to enjoy things and to uh, receive what God richly provides for people. So Paul's language here has this kind of idea that, yeah, there will be there will be a comprehensive kind of blessing that comes. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I don't think this is a promise that you're all gonna, we're all gonna be rich. I think it's the promise though that God cares about our material needs and he's gonna provide for us. So you guys have heard stories about, Robin talked uh, you know, a little bit last week about people who found themselves in deeper financial trouble uh, and when they began to follow God's principles for giving, the strange irony was that instead of getting harder, the financial situation became better for them. The point is, don't use God as a money-making scheme, but know that God will take care of us. We're almost done. I'm landing the plane here. So I just want to emphasize this last point. He who supplies seed to the sower. Just think about that phrase for a second. He who supplies seed to the sower. Whatever you decide about giving, remember this. God is the one who supplies seed to the sower. Everything comes from him. Every ounce of energy you have, your worth ethic that you might take pride in, which may have come from your parents and from particular protection from certain kinds of proclivities to sin that people who don't have your work ethic have, 
your education, your gifting, the way your mind works, your ingenuity, your opportunity that comes before you, everything we have to earn, anything comes from God. Everything we receive comes from him. And this isn't just a way to guilt you or guilt me. Paul says, think about that. He has your back. He's had your back this whole time. We can give cheerfully, Paul says, because you don't supply your own seed. You're not why you have money to provide for yourself. It all goes back to God. He's generous and he's going to keep being generous. So you don't have to worry. You, you don't have to worry if you give too much and God will suddenly forget you and you'll be unsupported and left to your own resources. You can give cheerfully knowing that your giving will arouse his generous heart to be kind, his generous heart to be generous so that you can keep on being generous. Giving can be a fearful thing because it's hard for us to see him as our provider instead of money. And especially in the more affluent West where we have so much compared to the rest of the world, money is so, so much easier, our, our hope. So letting it go is hard. But that's a trap. Uh, Francis Bacon said something that's paraphrased different ways, but it's a beautiful statement. He said something like, money is a fine servant, but it's a terrible God. Isn't that brilliant? Money is a, ter- is a, is a fine servant, but it's a terrible God. And that's why it's so crucial to see and know that God is both our, our provider, but also our generous provider. We, we must know and believe that generosity is at the very core of his nature. That's our gospel. That he who was rich purposely, intentionally became poor so that we could become rich. He was perfectly, inconceivably, infinitely happy in communion with the Father and the Spirit. And he left that place of infinite spiritual wealth because our spiritual state and destiny was absolute abject poverty. And he took that poverty. He he became our poverty. He became our sin. And this is where I want to just circle back to what Robin said last week. God was telling the Israelites that they were cursed because they weren't bringing the full tithe in that he had commanded. And so Robin made this statement. You know, if you're caught up in a season of disobedience and you're seeing fallout from that in your life, maybe, I'm paraphrasing him, but maybe you should ask yourself, am I cursed? And, you know, like some of you guys, my, my jaw dropped to the floor when he said that. Um, I've heard that message before and I don't ever remember hearing him say that. And I would have, I hoped I would have asked him because, and then he moved on, you know, I think that was the problem. I think Robin could have elaborated um, and explained what he meant because I think curse has such a horrifying word to us. We think of witchcraft. We think of um, generations of imprisonment to addictions, uh, to failure, Think of the Kennedy curse. If any of you guys have heard about that, this horrible tradition of the Kennedy family being shot, murdered, died on a ski slope in a plane crash. It's, and so it raises the question, what in the world is this idea that we might be cursed? What do I do with that? And, and I just want to say to you, and I, I, I sent everything I sent to Robin and talked to him about this, and he was extremely humble. Um, he wished he didn't say it that way. He wished he didn't say it, and he wished he could have elaborated on it. Because I want to say to you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I don't think there's the possibility of you being able to be cursed. Um, Jesus Christ's whole purpose in coming into this world was so that you would never know curse. He became a curse for you. There is such a thing as a curse. And in God's economy of justice, curse is simply God saying, I'm going to judge you for your sin. I'm going to punish you for what you've done. I'm going to make you reap what you sowed eternally. I'm not going to forgive you. 
I don't have to forgive you and you don't, you've rejected me and I'm gonna let you reject me and you're gonna reap that rejection and you're not gonna like it forever. That's a curse. And Galatians 3 tells us that that's no way to live. Like, I really wonder if, you know, a little bit of editorial. I can't think of a more important life bracketing passage for me, the way my heart and mind works, than Galatians 3, where Paul says, and I wrote this to you for those who read it, so forgive me if this is a repeat, but all those who live according to the law are under a curse. All those who try to find eternal life by obeying the law, Paul says, are under a curse because we can't do it. And we'll never be able to do it in this life perfectly. Whoever relies on their perfect obedience before God is under a curse because you're never going to make it with God that way. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, that might be the most important thing you can hear. Set aside all this stuff about money and just listen to that. All who rely on their perfect, or their, their obedience for their right standing before God, their acceptance for God, you're under a curse. Because God will never take what is unholy and sinful and call it good and bless it. He can't. It's not in his nature to do that. There's no way to, and thank God, that's no way to live, to live under the slavery of having to earn it all the time and having to perform perfectly all the time. My brain has that narrative all the time. That's why I love this passage. Paul says, give it up, give it up. You can never make it that way. And he says, instead, he says, live by faith in the truth that Jesus Christ became a curse for you. He became a curse for us. He took our disobedience on himself. He was crucified for it. And he paid for it all so that for those who put their trust in Jesus as their curse bearer, there's no curse left. You can't be cursed, brothers and sisters. You can't be cursed. Can you be disciplined by a dad who loves you? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. He will spank you. He will ground you. (laughs) He will do what he needs to do. To, to raise your character and make you beautiful in body, mind, and soul. And it'll take your whole life long of him blessing you, discipline you. The discipline's a blessing too. It doesn't feel good, but it's, it's what any good loving father or mother would do with their kid. But cursing, no. He took that curse. He took that curse. He's a generous God. So I, if, if you wonder about that, if you're struggling with that, if you don't know, if you know Jesus Christ, please come and talk to me because I want to help you Receive the joy of knowing that you're not cursed and you never will be eternally. So, okay. So what we're going to do is coming back to all this stuff. Um, we're going we're to ask you prayerfully from this message to consider your giving so that we can understand where we can and should be financially this season. So uh, Robin's message, either the one we preached last week or a recording of it um, will be up soon. This message will be up soon. You can use these too. I can send you my notes. Um, but we just ask you to take some time and prayerfully consider your giving to help us, to help you understand where you are, where you think you should be. And that will help us as we move in to the spring and summer to understand where we can be. And that will help us know what we should be doing. We'll bring monthly updates um, and prayer to, to figure out where we are so we can know what we're doing. And we'll just see what God has for us. And, um, and that's really it. I hope you guys didn't feel pushed around by that message. Uh, don't want to apologize for God's word. If you have any questions though for me about it, please feel free to come up and ask me.